0: This is episode 265 of the AWS podcast, released on September 30th, 2018.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Leisha here with you. Great to have you back, and I'm joined by a very special guest. I'm joined by Arun Gupta, who's our principal open source technologist here at AWS. Welcome to the podcast, Arun. Hi, uh, Simon. Uh, Thanks for having me here. Great for you to be able to join us because uh, I know that the things that you're going to speak to us about today... Uh, of interest to a wide range of our listeners, but maybe first tell us, uh, before we dive into the wonderful world of containers and all and all that good stuff, your role I- I- in Amazon is a really interesting one. So maybe give us a bit of a, a framework of what you do.
0: Yeah, I'm part of the open source team uh, that was created by uh, Adrian Cockcroft, you know, about two years ago, a um, little around two years ago, uh, Adrian came to Amazon. Uh, he's a VP of uh, Cloud Architecture and Strategy. And so one of the things he's helping out is with the open source part of it. So uh, he has started building a team around open source and I'm one of the technologists in the team. My role particularly is focused around serverless and containers. Those are the two areas that I focus on the open source side of it. Now there are similarly other technologies, you know, one of them focusing on the um, internal uh, communities that are around open source at Amazon. One of them focuses around AI machine learning. There is one person around content, one person around foundations, one person around events. So the team has been steadily growing. My role specifically is around um, anything around containers and serverless and um, help them be a good open source
1: citizen. That's great. And, and you're also, you also sit on the CNCF board, is that correct?
0: That is correct. So um, as soon as I joined uh, in April of last year, actually, April 2017, my first question was that why are we not part of Cloud Native Computing Foundation? Because to me, Amazon is sort of the way people have been building cloud-native applications forever. And uh, in a a very Amazonian way, I was told that, okay, this is a problem that you've identified, now go fix it. So last year, August uh, um, in 2017, we joined Cloud Native Computing Foundation as a Platinum member, as a Platinum member that also gives us a board seat. So uh, Adrian and myself, uh, we sit on the board of CNCF. So yeah, I help out with the CNCF responsibilities as well.
1: That's great. And uh, I guess the, the the reason for the chat today is we really want to to dive in on what some of the options are for customers who are looking to run containers on AWS, because... As with all things in IT, whenever we come up with a new way of doing things, we provide about six or seven different options uh, because one standard is never enough for us. And so uh, there are lots of choices for customers to deploy and manage containers in many different ways on AWS. So, so let's maybe take a bit of a potted tour, And I think um, we'll kind of skip the fact that if you just want to build your own from scratch using uh, whatever tooling you want on EC2, of course you can. But AWS offers a lot of managed services for customers to use. So, so maybe let's let's walk through that. Maybe let's touch on, uh, on ECS first and uh, just give a quick background on that before we move through the options.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, as you said rightly, um, we, of course, provide the basic primitive of EC2 so customers can bring whatever framework they want to run on EC2 and a lot of customers have been running it that way. But in 2014 reInvent, now, this is when Docker was super hot. You know, It was a new thing, new technology. Um, customers were trying to run Docker at scale. Um, y- you could easily do development on a local machine, but once you're running an application, the application that consists of multiple containers, um, then the need is to be able to orchestrate those containers, make sure there are affinity and anti-affinity rules, make sure you can assign CPU, memory, networking needs for those containers. So if, as an application developer, you have to focus on those aspects that takes that is undifferentiated heavy lifting for you. So, ninety to ninety five percent of our roadmap is driven by customers. Customers were asking that we need some easy way to manage containers, and so in twenty fourteen of reinvent, we announced ECS, and uh, since then, ECS has been extremely popular. So, what is ECS? Essentially, you go to the AWS console or using CLI, you can create a ECS cluster. What that gives you is a control plane essentially, and it's a highly multi-tenant control plane uh, shared by you know multiple uh, customers. Now, once you get, uh, once you create an ECS cluster, you get a uh, administrative cluster essentially, and in that you can bring your own EC2 worker nodes. So the control plane runs in the uh, AWS account, the control which is a control plane, and the data plane where the containers are running are running in the customer account. So you bring your own EC2 nodes, attach it to the ECS control plane, and that becomes your cluster. Now, once the ECS cluster is ready, you can say, I want to deploy a container. And for that, you basically create a ECS task definition. In the task definition, you define what is a container image, what CPU, what memory, you know, what kind of affinity, anti-affinity constraints you want to specify. And there's a full specification for the ECS task definition. And then, once you've created a task definition, you give it to the ECS cluster, and then ECS cluster can manage that task for you. So from an application developer perspective, you create an application, you build a Docker image, you can push the Docker image to a registry, then ECS can download the image from the registry and essentially manage the container for you. So the developer does not have to worry about, you know, how big the cluster is, how can I grow the cluster, How do I manage if a node goes down? So they can continue to focus on their core competency, which is application development.
1: And that's really the point, isn't it? So we want to get development teams moving quicker, which is one of the, I think the the appeals of containerization for a lot of developers was the the classic works on my laptop now works in production, uh, which is always the challenge before. So, So containerization helped with that. However, it does put a burden of management on the developer to make sure they're Building and maintaining their containers. So things like the registries, et cetera, are components that have become really important. But then I guess, you know, ECS was 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 being used for a while by customers and they gave us lots of feedback on, on ECS and we've improved that a lot. But also then we released AWS Fargate. So where does where does Fargate fit? How do, how does it work? How does it solve customer problems?
0: Yeah. Um, e- ECS, you know, um in, in a in a ECS way you create a ECS cluster, then you bring your own EC2 worker nodes. So um, that's sort of the EC2 mode of uh, ECS, essentially, as we call it as. Now, ECS is extremely popular. Uh, um, we, uh, customers launch hundreds of millions of containers every week on ECS, and we have seen really uh, amazing amount of growth uh, in ECS customer base. So that is all good. But if you think about from an application developer perspective, Cluster is a relic of your physical infrastructure. Now, because this is how we have grown up that, okay, I'm going to spawn a bunch of VMs and now I'm going to set up an orchestration engine on that and now I'm going to deploy my containers on that. But if you truly think about it, should the customer even be caring about it? And once again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. We listen to customer feedback and we always innovate on customer's behalf. So... Fargate is a technology that allows you to not worry about managing your cluster, scaling your cluster, upgrading or patching your EC2 nodes. You create a container or you you build a Docker image, you pass that Docker image and you say, here is an ECS cluster that is running. And in this case, for a Fargate mode, ECS cluster is purely for administrative purposes. You don't have to bring any EC2 nodes. So you just create an administrative boundary for the cluster, and to that cluster, then you can say, "Here you go, take my task and run this task in a Fargate mode." Now, one of the big advantages over here is, once you have created a Docker image, you can go either the EC2 route or the Fargate route because the tasks are quite compatible. There are very minor changes required, you know, um, from going from one to other. So you can really, you can truly create one ECS cluster have your EC2 nodes be part of it. And then when you're creating your task definition, as part of the task definition, you can say, run it this in the EC2 mode or run this into the Fargate mode, or you can even specify that as a CLI option. So you truly really allow you to build a heterogeneous cluster. And um, eventually we are hoping that you know the goal is everybody would move to the Fargate mode where they don't think about the cluster at all.
1: I think it's a, it's a really interesting proposition when you think about it. It's, it's sort of like unlearning what we're used to. Like you said, we're used to sort of, okay, I need to, to set up a cluster. Well, why? You know, we don't need to set up a cluster anymore. I know the first time I used Fargate, I was like, oh, I see now. It's like there were all these things I was doing that I don't need to do anymore. And I think that's where customers can get moving more quickly and spend even less time on, on that management that tends to be time-consuming but not value-adding. And that's really where, where Fargate sort of uh, adds a lot of value.
0: Exactly. And in, in a very typical Amazon language, we call that as an undifferentiated heavy lifting. You know, the customer should not really care about it. Their goal is to build an application, run it, scale it, and uh, let somebody else take care of, you know, all the due diligence you know, or the, all the hard work behind.
1: For sure. For sure. And so looking at the, the, the container landscape in, in general, I mean, it's been a pretty amazing ride over the last sort of five plus years of, of containers moving from, uh, you know, the old style of containers we were used to, to obviously the popularity of Docker, then the focus on orchestration. And obviously Kubernetes has been hugely successful amongst a lot of customers in terms of a, a choice they make of how to run and orchestrate their container farms. And I know that a lot of customers are sort of at the point of saying, well, you know, we, we really like using Kubernetes, but again, we'd really like not to manage it. Uh, AWS, can you help? So tell us about uh, the solution there for customers.
0: Yeah. Um, now, last year, December, there was a survey released by CNCF, and that survey said 57% of Kubernetes runs on AWS. And that is b- even before we announced you know, EKS, actually, you know or EKS was generally available. Now, all of that efforts are primarily due to the efforts in the community. So it's a huge shout out to the SIG AWS, which is a special interest group in the Kubernetes community that have done a terrific amount of work to build that community and running it. Now, there are lots of tools by which you can create a Kubernetes cluster. COPS is one of the prominent ones. But if you're creating a cluster by yourself, uh, it consists of multiple components. Now, you need to have a controller, uh, which needs to make sure that your Kubernetes pods are running, Kubernetes deployments are running, you know your stateful stats are running, your services are accessible, then you need to have etcd. That's where the state of the cluster is stored. And that's a distributed watchable registry. That's a very, very core component of the Kubernetes cluster. Now, controller and etcd together makes the master uh, or the control plane. Now, you also need to have data plane, which is sort of the EC2 nodes, which is where the, uh, the containers actually run. So... In order to manage a Kubernetes cluster, you need to be able to manage both the master plane and the control plane. Okay, uh, sorry, the control plane and the data plane. So in control plane, again, if you look specifically among those different um, uh, controller and etcd, you need to make sure they are highly available. You need to make sure that you're following the best AWS practices. You need to make sure that the... Controllers are regularly patched, and you know, if a new version or upgraded, if a new version of Kubernetes comes along, you need to make sure the they're right sized because Kubernetes documentation gives guidelines that depending upon the number of pods, your master should be sized. And then for etcd, again, you have to make sure it is regularly backed up. There is a quorum, is uh, encrypted, is snapshotted. So managing a Kubernetes cluster. I know just a control plane just a control plane itself requires a lot of effort on your side now there are tools like cops that enables it but if things break, then that's, that's where you know, it becomes a little bit messy so you really need to think about if you are an application developer if I'm an application developer and I say, hey you need to jump onto Kubernetes bandwagon but you need to do, be aware of all these things I am not a networking expert I am not a storage expert. I'm not a backup expert. So it becomes a lot of, once again, as I said earlier, undifferentiated heavy lifting for me. So with EKS, essentially what we did is we said, okay, we're going to provide a managed control plane as a first step. And in the managed control plane, essentially, what we're going to do is we you can say, uh, in the regions where EKS is available, you can go and say, can give me an EKS control plane. And we will spin up three controllers for you, three Etsy do for you, Highly available. You know, we'll take care of the backup. We'll take care of the patching. We'll take care of the upgrading. We'll make sure that they're highly available. You know, if one goes down, you know, we automatically bring it back up using auto-scaling groups. So we'll make sure that the best AWS practices are implemented, you know, as we expect it to be. So all those good practices that you're aware of, we're gonna automatically implement that for you from EKS control plane. Now EKS control plane is highly available, but very much like ECS and EC2 mode particularly in there, we require you to bring your worker nodes and create the data plane right over there. So in a way, it's similar to ECS, but um, Kubernetes is loved by a lot of our customers. We listen to customer feedback. And so we offered EKS service, which is a managed control plane, but data plane kind of sits in your own account.
1: And so, I guess, Arun, one of the things that your role affords you is the chance to talk to lots and lots of customers. In fact, you're just back from some traveling as well. So, hence the the voice is probably feeling a bit scratchy at the moment. And I'm interested in what you're seeing customers do in terms of the choices they have to make. I mean, we've spoken about the fact that you can you know, completely roll your own. You can use uh, ECS in EC2 mode. You can use ECS in Fargate mode. You can use EKS. Uh, how are you seeing customers make those choices we haven't even talked about serverless because we're kind of restricting ourselves to the container conversation but for those customers who are moving into containers heavily how are you seeing them make those choices
0: customers who are all in into aws where they don't care about what is the orchestration framework Um, they care about how deep the integration with aws infrastructure is they want to make sure that my CloudWatch, my IAM integration, my X-ray integration, my CloudTrail integration, uh, this is HIPAA compliant, all those capabilities are needed you know, in order for them to run their application, and they're only going to be in cloud and they're all in AWS customer, for them, absolutely, you know, ECS is the recommended uh, solution. And I would even go to the extent where I would say ECS Fargate is the recommended solution for them, because for them, they don't really care about you know, what the cluster domain should look like, what a boundary should look like, and they should not care about it because it's the easiest and the fastest way for you to get started. So literally create a ECS uh, cluster and deploy your task in a Fargate mode, and that's sort of the recommendation that we have seen um, customers uh, really like, actually. Now, in certain cases, um, you do want control over EC2, um, uh, over the EC2 instances, because with Fargate, we don't give you access to the ability to log into the instances, the EC2 instances, uh, or, the, or the data plane. Now, in certain cases, if you do want that control, wherein you do want a specific tasks to run on each EC2 instance, for example, then you know you can go to the EC2 route. And finally, you know, if uh, for customers who really want an open source angle, where they want the ability to be able to run the scheduler on their desktop, on their on-prem data center, and they want to be able to leverage the exact same skill that is available in their on-prem versus in the cloud, then Kubernetes is a good route for them. Um, Now with EKS, certainly um, one of the core tenets of EKS is 100% upstream compatibility. As a matter of fact, EKS is CNCF uh, certified um, um, distribution. Uh, the current release is 1.10. So that means if you are using Kubernetes upstream 1.10 and your on-prem data center, you can bring the exact same application and it will run fine on EKS as well. Another way to also look at this is how much control do you want? You know, if you want to focus only on the application, then you may go purely the Fargate route. Okay, Fargate is a thing to me. I, know I just can build the application, create Docker images, and let somebody else manage the cluster for me. And then if you want control over EC2 instances on what needs to be installed and how the armies need to be configured and how the networking needs to work, then maybe you want to go to the EC2 route, um, either for ECS or EKS. EKS, primarily, we have seen customers who, like, the, who are like or want the open source angle. That's sort of the route that they go with.
1: And the interesting thing there as well is, is, firstly, you've got lots of choice, but also it's not a binary decision. So you can also deploy uh, some applications using Fargate, some using EKS. It's it's really, I guess, horses for courses, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's never a either or decision. You know, I don't see a reason why a customer – and we, we have customers that are doing ECS on EC2 mode and Fargate mode. But I don't see a reason why we can't have customers deploying ECS and EKS, you know, in the same organization. As a matter of fact,
1: and I think that's important because it's interesting. As you as you move into particularly large organizations, there are different teams with different philosophies, and rather than have them get into a big religious argument about which is the quote unquote right way to go, they can each go the way they want to go without uh, undue overhead. So it's a kind of a nice thing.
0: Exactly, because you know, to the end, the end, it really boils down to the fact that we are giving choices to customer. And we are also giving guidance from our side on what is it that they should be doing. So uh, there is a professional services team, there are solution architects, there are account managers who would will be willing to work with our customers um, then who can guide on what is it that they should choose. So always happy to help.
1: For sure, for sure. And there's, there's another service related to containers that we haven't really dove into because it's kind of um, not as glamorous, but really, really important. So if you're in an organization and you're, using containers, you're going to find pretty fast that you have lots and lots of them and you rely upon them and they have to be there and you need somewhere to put them. And that's where Amazon Elastic Container Registry or ECR fits in, doesn't it? Correct.
0: Yeah, so I mean, the way if you look at the container services landscape, at the very top layer, there will be management. Uh, and in terms of management, we look at ECS and EKS. Then we look at it, you know, where these data planes for these managed services are hosted. Then you look at EC2 and Fargate are the two potential modes. By the way, ECS on EC2 and Fargate is already available since last reInvent. And EKS was announced on EC2 mode. And we are already working on EKS and Fargate mode essentially in the future. So the third layer in that sense, management first layer, hosting second layer, the third layer is sort of the image registry. And that's where the Amazon Elastic Container Registry kind of kicks in. And the, the the good part about this is, again, this is fully managed, secure. Uh, it provides all the LTs that we are aware of from Amazon. So like security, reliability, high availability, you know, you don't need to worry about I'm going to host the registry on my laptop. And if my laptop goes down, then the whole thing goes down. It's hosted and managed by Amazon for you in the cloud.
1: Yeah, it's a very, very powerful capability. And one of those fundamental services that you kind of uh, start to rely on without realizing that you need it. But uh, it, it is important. Now, let's get back to, I guess, the community aspect. And I know that Amazon's become very uh, much more visible in what it's doing around the open source community uh, and particularly around the, the CNCF work. I think uh, recently we had a CNI plug-in that was done. Do you want to maybe talk about that and then we'll talk about some of the other things that are going on?
0: Yeah. Um, now, when EKS was launched, you know, uh, there are four uh, core tenets, you know, the way we build the service. The first core tenet is we want it to be a platform for enterprises to run production-grade workloads. And that's, that's what our customers do. You know, some of the biggest enterprises in the world are Amazon customers, and so that's what we are used to. The second core tenet is to uh, provide a native and upstream Kubernetes experience. Uh, that means we're not going to fork Kubernetes. We're not going to maintain an internal branch. So if you're used to the Kubernetes experience, like 110 in this case, um, then we will provide the exact same experience. So, same manifest would work on your on-prem data center, on your laptop, and EKS if they're all 110. The third core tenet is really about the seamless integration uh, with different AWS services, and we kind of touched upon them somewhat a little bit. Uh, it really eliminates the undifferentiated heavy lifting for you, so you don't have to be worried about it. You can use it if you want to, but you don't have to. And then the last part really is where I get very excited is where the team is going to actively contribute to the Kubernetes upstream project. So if you see out of the four tenets, two are heavily focused on open source aspect of it. So um, when we released EKS, you know, when EKS went GA, now EKS, of course, is Kuber- managed Kubernetes service and the way networking works in Kubernetes is using CNI or container networking interface. Now, there are lots of CNI plugins. What we did is we built our own CNI plugin that provides you first-class VPC networking um, across different containers. What that means is uh, we created a CNI plugin. It is available on GitHub. Anybody can use that CNI plugin and create their own version of EKS, so to say, so that they can take that CNI plugin, take the upstream Kubernetes, plug it into upstream Kubernetes, and create you know, their own um, uh, ho- uh, version uh, of Kubernetes cluster. The key part is it gives you first-class VPC networking, You know each pod is given an IP address from the VPC network space, and the pods are able to communicate with each other. So the open source experience is absolutely an important part of what EKS team is about.
1: And what are the, some of the things that, uh, that you can share with us that are underway uh, from an open source community perspective? Where, where's the focus going?
0: Yeah, there are uh, several uh, new projects uh, that are starting. Now, at the way work is done in the Kubernetes community is in SIGs or special interest groups. So there is a SIG for AWS and there are similarly SIGs for other cloud providers and uh, other aspects of Kubernetes as well. Now, SIG AWS particularly is um, co-led by uh, Bob Weiss, who's a GM for EKS service. Justin Santa Barbara, Chris Nova... These are, again, some of the stalwarts in the Kubernetes community, and they have been leading this SIG for a while as well. Now, some of the projects, you know, what we have done is we have organized some of the projects as sub-projects of SIG. The very first one is IAM credentials to authenticate. If you look at kubectl, which is sort of the way you talk to a Kubernetes cluster, by default, you know, it just looks at your kubeconfig file, which has your certificate, key value, etc., and then it authenticates with the cluster. Now, Amazon customers are used to IAM roles to authenticate to a cluster. So this um, uh, I- AWS IAM authenticator now allows you to authenticate to a Kubernetes cluster using IAM credentials. It's a sub project, and it's a if you go to githubcom kubernetes sigs you'll see a AWS-IAM-authenticator sub project over there. Similarly, we have moved. AWS ALB ingress controller. Um, Now in Kubernetes you provide uh, integration for uh, ELB by default. So in your manifest if you say type colon service um, or um, uh, then it'll automatically be uh, or type colon um, yeah type colon service then it'll automatically be exposed as a ELB. Now you can add annotation to your manifest and it will be exposed as a network load balancer. So those two kind of load balancers are already supported. The way ALB or application load balancer is supported by creating an ingress controller. So that's, again, a new project under Kubernetes 6, AWS, ALB, ingress controller, open source. And uh, we are uh, working with our partners to make sure that it gets integrated and be successful in that. couple of more efforts that are happening. One of them is around encryption of data in etcd. We are also working on a CSI compliant plugin for EBS, again, fully out and open source. We are also looking at how we can assign IAM identity to a pod. There are lots of projects, again, in that space that already exist. So, Cube2IAM, CHIAM, IAM4Cube, uh, Cube AWS IAM Controller. But uh, we are looking at all of those projects and potentially providing a more standard way by which uh, an IAM identity can be assigned to a pod. And of course, there's a cloud provider AWS subproject, which is the uh, where the provider part of Kubernetes, because essentially when you say create a Kubernetes cluster, end of the day, it needs to create those Kubernetes resources. So there's a cloud provider part of the Kubernetes cluster, and that is maintained as a separate subproject as well. So I, th- I would say uh, lots of activity going on in SIG AWS, and I'm excited Bob Wise is on board, so he's really making a big difference over there. Uh, From my side, uh, I have hosted the Kubernetes community meeting. We also, about two weeks ago, we hired the core maintainer of etcd. This engineer is a very sharp engineer. His name is Gyuho. And um, the funny part is Monday he joined and Tuesday he made a presentation to the CNCF Technical Oversight Committee to propose etcd as a project to uh, CNCF as a contribution to CNCF. So that's pretty cool. Now, we are hoping that under Amazon's name, uh, we will be able to contribute etcd as a project to TOC and then continue to collaborate in that. We're always looking for, you know, star developers. If you're out in the Kubernetes community, you want to build an open source career at Amazon, we are looking for you.
1: Absolutely. That's great. And some some really good projects for customers to use and and a great way to get involved as well. And I think it'd be great if uh, etcd could uh, have that stewardship because it is such a fundamental part of many, many distributed systems these days. So, Arun, how do do people get in touch with the open source team? Is there a a Twitter handle, et cetera, they can can follow?
0: Absolutely. Um, We uh, have a Twitter handle, and the Twitter handle is AWS Open. So very intuitive in that sense. Uh, Go to twitter.com slash AWS Open. That is the best way to uh, connect with us. Uh, We, of course, have our own uh, individual handles, but I would still recommend go to AWS Open. Easiest way to connect with us. We also have open source blog that we try to maintain quite actively. If you are building an open source project on top of Amazon or AWS and would like to share uh, details about it, we're always looking for guest authors.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great opportunity for those who are are working in the community and have built useful and interesting things to share it on a, on a big scale. That, uh, that blog is a, is a great point of reference to contribute to as well. And it is, it is one of the, uh, the AWS blogs that is open for external people to propose ideas, contribute to, and, and use that platform. So it's a, it's a great opportunity for customers to share the great work they do. Because I know a lot of customers build some really cool things, and it's like when they get out into the community, everyone else is like, wow, this is amazing.
0: Yeah, and so I, we would love to kind of share more and more of this. We are also uh, making ourselves more present at different conferences, different events. OSCON uh, was a conference where we were again present as a top-tier sponsor. Last year, we were there. This year, we were back there. We have done uh, keynotes uh, for twice in a a row over there. We also continue to participate in several OSS summits. Um, uh, All things open, lots of open-source events where we would like to be present. And the way we look at it is, These are the opportunities that we're giving to our customers to connect with us. So if you see us there, come talk to us. Tell us what is it that we should be doing. What is it that customer feedback that we are not getting so far? I would love to hear that.
1: Definitely, definitely. Well, Arun, thanks for coming on and sharing with us a bit about the, uh, the container landscape as it stands.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: And thanks everyone for listening. Uh, there'll be lots of links in the show notes to all those projects. And uh, we do love to get your feedback, much like the open source team. So uh, the feedback location is AWS podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.